Hi, I'm Vashi Capellos, and welcome to the West Block podcast for Sunday, October 1st. This week, we'll talk to Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister about the escalating trade war with our southern neighbour. Then, the federal government's proposed tax changes for small businesses have premiers across the country demanding changes. Plus, a new deal for Netflix. What does it mean for Canada's entertainment industry and for Netflix subscribers? But first, as round three of the North American free trade negotiations was winding down in Ottawa last week, American negotiators announced President Trump's latest Buy American demands. That came on the heels of a 220% import duty slapped on Bombardier selling C-Series jets south of the border. So as this increasing trade war between our two countries escalates, how are negotiations being impacted? Joining me now is Foreign Affairs Minister Christian Freeland. Minister, it's great to have you here in studio. Really great appreciate your time. Great to you, I, of course, want to talk to you about NAFTA, but before of that, course. of course, before that, Even I just my wanted kids to... want to talk to you about <laughs> NAFTA. Oh, wow. nowadays. No, it's true. People stop me on the street. Asking about NAFTA. Everybody wants to know. But I, I do want to ask you about Cuba first. The U.S. is saying that 21 of its citizens in Cuba have been affected by those sonic attacks. And as a result, they're withdrawing all non-essential diplomatic staff. They're also issuing a travel advisory for U.S. citizens not to travel to Cuba. Will Canada be following suit? So we are very aware of the situation. The health and safety of our diplomats is of utmost importance to us. And, you know, I take it very personally as foreign minister. Um, there were some concerns that we had in the spring. We have no ongoing concerns or issues at the moment right now. Uh, we are working very closely with the Americans and with the Cuban authorities. But at the moment, the situation seems to be under control. So is there something, because there is one, at least one Canadian that's been affected by that's those right, attacks. That's right, that's right. Is have there no... something that the U.S. knows that, that we don't, or is there a cause no. for their concern and not ours? Well, it's for the U.S. to speak to the situation of its own diplomats, uh, but I really want to assure Canadians that we take the health and safety of our diplomats extremely seriously. Uh, there were some cases earlier this year there are no current or ongoing cases. Okay. And, and we're working, we are working very closely with both the Americans and the Cubans. Okay, understood. Let me move on to NAFTA now. And I wanted to pick up on something you said at the end of the negotiations here uh, in Ottawa. You, you characterized the administration as overtly protectionist. And I'm wondering how that impacts negotiations. Well, it is overtly protectionist. You know, this is an administration that talks about America first, that talks about buy America. Uh, that's their ideological worldview, uh, and that is reflected in some of the positions that we've seen so far, and I expect it will be reflected in the positions that we'll see going forward. Um, and that is just a reality uh, that Canada and Canadians have to deal with. Uh, it's certainly not a surprise to us. I think the administration has been clear, you know, even during the election campaign, was clear that that was their approach. It's not our approach. Uh, Canada is a trading nation, uh, and we know that good, well-paying, middle-class jobs in Canada are dependent on our trade with the world and benefit from more open, stronger trading relations. What we do at the table with the Americans is not make it an ideological dispute. You know, that's, it's, it's not my job to persuade them to 
have different views about trade at a philosophical level. Um, what it's my job to do is to explain to them, to really remind them how mutually beneficial the trading relationship is with Canada. And that economic reality is really the strength that Canada has at the negotiating table. So we point out to the Americans, we are your largest market. Canada is a bigger market for the United States than China, Japan and the UK combined. They need us. And that is, is really important. The other real strength that Canada has when it comes to economic fundamentals in this negotiation is we've heard from this administration repeatedly a concern around trade deficits and trade surpluses. Again, at a sort of philosophical level, that's not a concern that we share. It's not how we view the effectiveness of a trading relationship. But we do say to them and are able to say to them, look, that's not a problem you have with Canada. Your trading relationship with Canada is balanced and mutually beneficial. In fact, on goods and services, the United States runs a slight surplus with Canada. The same is true of manufactured goods. The same is true of auto parts. So, you know, our job is to make reasoned, professional, thoughtful arguments and to bring facts to the table. Specifically on Buy American, I know you have articulated in the past that um, you have spe you know, specific desires on the part of the Canadian government, and that is to see us enter into the municipal level, the state level, and you know, to, to reduce those, those protectionist measures. Um, is that uh, a red line? Is that something you know, that you would walk away from the table on, specifically Buy American? So I said publicly this week what we've said privately, which is when it comes to government procurement, Canada has put forward a very ambitious proposal to further open up each other's markets. And for us, our baseline is CETA, our trade agreement with the European Union, in which we have opened up our own government procurement market to Europeans, and they have opened up the vast European market to Canadians and that's the more baseline than ever of what before. you'd like to see? That, what we've said is, we think that if we've been able to achieve this level with our European partners, who are our friends, they're our allies, but they are an ocean away, we feel that surely that should be achievable in our relationship with our closest friends and our neighbors. So that, that's the position that Canada is putting forward. Based on what you've seen so far, does that seem realistic? You know, as has been reported, um, the U.S., by contrast, came forward with uh, a really disappointing offer on government procurement. Uh, their proposal, we're proposing, let's move ahead. Um, let's make trade freer. Uh, their starting proposal has been to go backwards. And we actually, we did this calculation uh, that the U.S. government procurement offer would give us the access that Bahrain enjoys to the U.S. market. So we don't think that that is very realistic. And what we've been pointing out is that currently U.S. firms enjoy very good access to the Canadian government procurement market. They like having that access. And it's important for our American partners to understand that if American firms want to continue to benefit from the access they have to the Canadian market, Canadian firms need to have access to. You said, though, that, for example, dispute resolution is the red line for the Canadian government. Is Buy American just as important? Is it something that you're willing to walk away of, over given how, how different you're describing the two points right now, the well, two views? You know, 
let me just say on dispute settlement, um, that is very important to us, and Chapter 19 in particular was one of the great achievements of Canadian negotiators in the initial NAFTA negotiation. As I think a lot of Canadians know, we do so much business with the United States that, you know, some disagreements are inevitable. That would be the case of any, you know, two parties uh, doing a lot of business with each other. And, you know, we really feel just as good fences make good neighbors, a good dispute settlement mechanism, an objective one, makes a good trading relationship. On government procurement, uh, you know, as has been reported, our positions are quite far apart right now. It's a negotiation. Everybody starts with a very strong position, and we really believe the objective of this negotiation needs to be to make trade freer. This is a great trading relationship. Canada's objective is let's make it even better. Before we go, uh, you, you mentioned dispute settlement. We mentioned dispute settlement. And uh, that brings me to Bombardier and Boeing. And I know that there are a number of mechanisms that the company and the government have to sort of appeal the decision that was made last week. Um, but I wanted to know if, if, if the government can articulate, or if you can articulate very clearly, are Super Hornets off the table completely? So let me go back to the first part of your question, Bashi. Um, and you quite rightly have pointed out that what happened this week was a preliminary determination, and that name is accurate. This is not the end of the Commerce Department process. This is very much just the beginning of a long process. And in that process, the Government of Canada's position is very clear. It has been clear from day one. Uh, that we're going to defend our aerospace sector, we are going to defend our workers. I also want to really offer a shout out to the government of Great Britain. Uh, we've been working very, very closely with the UK. I spoke uh, last week, right after the decision, with Greg Clark, uh, the British minister responsible for this issue. So we're working in very, very coordinated fashion. And we're going to continue to stand up for our jobs and our workers. And what we have also said uh, is that the government of Canada is only going to spend taxpayer dollars with trusted partners. Um, a trusted partner is not a company which is attacking the Canadian aerospace sector. I was also really pleased to hear this week uh, the UK Defence Secretary also calling into question procurement decisions in the UK going forward. So, you know, if, if you want to do business with Canada, with the government of Canada, if you want, you know, precious taxpayer dollars to be spent with your company, then you need to be a good partner for us. So no super hornets until this is resolved. I think I've expressed the position very clearly. Okay. Thanks very much for your time, Minister. Okay. I appreciate Great it. Great to talk to you. Tomorrow, the government ends its consultation process on the proposed tax changes for small businesses. Premiers, business leaders and the opposition have warned the Liberals the changes will close many businesses and force many doctors to take their practice elsewhere. But last week, during a heated exchange in question period, the Prime Minister dug his heels in. Take a listen. We need a system that is fair for everyone. The current system encourages wealthy families to actually use private corporations to pay a lower tax rate than middle-class Canadians. That's not fair. Canadians elected us to fix it, and that's exactly what we're going to do. 
Joining me now from Halifax is Nova Scotia Premier Stephen McNeil. I know, sir, that you've heard from a number of small business owners and taxpayers in your province regarding the federal government's proposed tax changes, and you have spoken out against your counterparts here in Ottawa. So what's your message to the Prime Minister when you meet with him on Tuesday? Well, I've said uh, on behalf of all Nova Scotians that, uh, you know, every Nova Scotian believes in tax fairness. We want to continue to make sure that as we look at the tax system that any changes that are coming uh, do not have any unintended consequences. Uh, we've heard from health care providers in our province that uh, the capacity to be able to save for retirement is an important component for them. Half of the medical students at Dalhousie University are women. Uh, the, the corporation allows them to save for maternity leave. We believe those are important uh, uh, advantages for them to be able to practice in, in our province. As you know, we're one of the lowest paid when it comes to uh, uh, doctors. At the same time, on the, uh, when it comes to uh, small businesses in this province, uh, the corporation leaves them the ability to actually leave revenue in their company that they can actually reinvest uh, or prepare for when the economy turns and, and they need to then uh, change direction in their company. I'll get to the medical component in a minute, but first, is there any sense of how united a message the premiers will have on this this week? I, I think it's important to recognize that uh, the, uh, the federal finance minister has been going around listening to Canadians. I actually met with him here, our finance minister met with him. Uh, he very upfront that he's out listening, wants to hear from Canadians on the impact this is having. I think it's important to remember these are proposals uh, that, uh, that are put out there. Uh, I think it's just important that all Canadians uh, and each Premier brings the respective of their individual provinces uh, that, uh, you know, and the message that they're hearing. I understand they are consultations, but the proposals themselves have brought out a lot of concerns from people wondering why they were made in the first place. Are you one of those people? Well, that's, that's a question for the federal government. Uh, they'll make the decisions around, uh, the decisions they make around tax policy. Uh, you know, I, I as a Premier have continued to work very hard to, to provide tax fairness. I just brought in the largest uh, tax cut in the history of our province uh, with a focus towards low-income Nova Scotians. Uh, we just reduced small, uh, small business, 1,800 small businesses have a, a, got a tax break in our province. So I, uh, you know, the federal government will determine and, 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 and explain uh, the rationale for moving forward on this. But I think, you know, to, to go at uh, what's been said, it was around tax fairness. I think we need to fully, though, understand what are the unintended consequences. And I think it's important for Nova Scotians and all Canadians uh, to tell their elected officials, both provincially and nationally, how these changes impact them. So as we go through this uh, final stretch of public consultation that we have an opportunity for the, uh, for the federal finance minister and the prime minister to fully understand the impact on the regions of the country. Talking about that impact, I know when Doctors Incorporated in your province, it helped attract and help keep them in your province. Do you believe if these tax changes are implemented that will drive doctors out of the province? Yeah, there's no question that I, uh, you know, that the, 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 the reason for allowing professional incorporation on the medical side was to, uh, it was in the mid-90s, in, in essence, to stop the healthcare providers who were going into the United States. We couldn't compete in terms of continuing to compete with the salaries, so uh, the, the allowing them to incorporate allowed them to uh, save for retirement, uh, uh, allowed them to set aside money for maternity leaves. Uh, and, and I think it's important for all Canadians to recognize this isn't a way to avoid tax. This money, when it comes out of their corporation, they will pay the same tax rate as every other Canadian. Uh, what it does, though, is it allows them to be able to prepare for retirement or, or 
uh, as they grow their family. Um, unlike many Canadians, they are not in a pension plan. Uh, you know, when you look at the public service across the province, those who are delivering services to Canadians and to Nova Scotians, many of them are in pension plans. Uh, doctors uh, are not, uh, and this allowed them uh, out of their income to be able to save for that retirement or, or uh, as they grew their families. And when you made the case to the federal finance minister, Bill Morneau, do you feel he was receptive? Well, I, we continue to make our case. I, I believe the finance minister was receptive to the message. Uh, I think he was hearing a similar message across the country. I think it's important. There are other aspects associated with, uh, with the changes that are important for our province. We've worked very hard. Uh, since coming in in 2013, we made it very clear that we were not a, a government that was going to be lending money in, into the private sector. Uh, so what has happened, we've created an ecosystem in here where we have a lot of angel investors who are building a startup community, uh, and a lot of that funding is uh, from corporations that are uh, taking a risk on, on e either very early uh, business or one that potentially e there's a lot of risk that you may not actually see your return where uh, a private investor who was using their own money may not do that or quite frankly the banks would not land in this this uh, it's important to realize that this capital that is in these corporations are not just enhancing uh, that existing business, but in some cases, this capital is being used to actually start that whole ecosystem in the startup community. Uh, somewhat akin to what's happening in Waterloo or MIT, we've seen a great growth in Nova Scotia in and around the startup community, and this capital has been part of that. Finally, Mr. McNeil, if the changes do go ahead as proposed, is there anything you can do on the provincial level to mitigate the damage? Well, listen, I, I, I believe the finance minister has listened to Canadians. He's owed to hearing the message from Canadians. I, um, uh, we'll wait to see what, uh, what the final changes look like. We'll make the case. Uh, we'll continue to express the views of Nova Scotians uh, and the impact. But I think it's important to recognize, uh, you know, if, every time there's a change from one level of government to the other, it's impossible for a provincial government to... Uh, to always backfill that change. So, uh, but I'm, I'm very confident I, uh, that the finance minister is out listening. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to, uh, to meet with my uh, fellow premiers and the prime minister early next week, uh, not only to express our views on this, but to talk about the issues around NAFTA, the, the legalization of marijuana, which is coming in July, uh, and the impact uh, as we continue together to work together to build the federation. Okay, thanks, Premier, very much for being with us. Thank you very much. Late last week, the government announced its long-awaited digital plan for Canada's media and entertainment industry. The big news is that Netflix will pay more for Canadian productions. But what does this mean for Netflix subscribers, and does it really create a level playing field? Joining me now for Montreal's Heritage Minister, Melanie Jolie. Minister, thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Hi, it's a pleasure. I wanted to start off by talking about the deal with Netflix that you announced late last week. What exactly does the $500 million have to be spent on? So, for example, does it mean that, uh, that the production has to spend money on Canadian uh, producers and writers and directors, or does it just have to be shot in Toronto? So first of all, what we've been able to agree with on Netflix is making sure that they create a first 
Canadian production house, the first outside the American market for Netflix. And while doing that, uh, of course, they're not uh, doing that to do service production, which would be typically what you're referring to, to American studios coming to Canada to shoot American films. It's actually to do Canadian, con Canadian productions. And so the idea is to support our writers, support our producers, support our Canadian stories. And that's exactly what Netflix will be doing by making sure that they invest a minimum of $500 million over five years uh, in Canadian original productions in both of our, uh, our official languages. So does that does that figure the five hundred million dollars? Does that represent more spending in Canada by Netflix? It does. Uh, of course, uh, we know what are the numbers of spending of Netflix as of now, and we know that this is much more than they've spent in the past. And we know also that this is a minimum, and that will grow because. Actually, Netflix has been invested massively in production, and they're now the biggest content producer and uh, in, in content production uh, studio in Hollywood. So you so say that ultimately it's the question. The, ultimately, the Sorry, question continue. is: We have new a new five hundred million dollar uh, pie, and we want to make sure that that's a big piece of their entire production pie. So when you say that it does represent much more spending, how much more? There's much more in terms of millions of dollars. And not only that— How many millions, I know Minister? That, how many millions, Minister? In the context, how we were able to make sure that um, Netflix would be investing in Canadian productions, we did it through the Investment Act. And why did we go and use that tool is right now, our Broadcasting Act and our Telecommunications Act doesn't give us jurisdiction over foreign platforms. It just gives us uh, jurisdiction over players that are Canadian. And so by going through the Investment Act, we were able to make this deal and ultimately make sure that we can monitor what is happening and ultimately make sure that there's an enforcement mechanism. I understand that, Minister. I appreciate it. But the question I was specifically asking, I think, is because Canadians are, are want to know that this actually does represent a, a change, an increase in investment. So are you able to tell us exactly, exactly how much more Netflix will be spending in this country? Well, they will be spending a minimum of $500 million over the next five years. But and more than they already do. Which is much more than what they're already uh, are doing, and I was able to sell this investment to Netflix because they've been doing amazing content here. Maybe Elias Grace or Anne of Green Gables with the CBC, or even um, Frontier with Discovery. So they've been doing lots of the co these co-productions, and what we want is ultimately that they do more here. But also, what we've worked with. Uh, with them is the importance of discoverability of Canadian content. So we've agreed that in their algorithms, there's a vignette now that will uh, make sure that they um, they are showing what is Canadian content, so presenting great uh, movies and, and television series from Canada. 
here and across the world. And that vignette will also be, of course, in many other markets. So that will help the discoverability of Canadian content, but also help the Canadian brand, because we know our content is great. And in the end, Minister, the deal with Netflix is different than the one Canadian broadcasters have. Why are there two sets of rules? Well, there's actually what we're faced with right now is that our entire laws predate the internet. So what I announced this week was a transition plan to ultimately create a new system. So we announced more uh, this deal with Netflix, but also to help our broadcasters, what we announced is that while their revenues are decreasing and there is less money that go through the Canada Media Fund, the government will create a backstop and will make sure that the revenues in the Canada Media Fund, which is to support Canadian production, doesn't decrease. And then our broadcasters have access to that money basically to create shows with our producers. So that's our way to support uh, broadcasters through that transition period. And also what we will be doing is we'll be uh, modernizing our Broadcasting Act and our Telecommunications Act and our Copyright Act. Okay, thanks very much for your time, Minister Jolie. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the West Block Podcast. For more, go to our website, globalnews.ca slash thewestblock. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And tune in again next week for another West Block Podcast.